It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Whoa. Welcome in to another episode of Take Talk. Steve, we're back. Um, this is kind of a fun week. We're a day late, guys, so we're not going to go game by game this week reviewing the slate, and that's fine because it was 16 games anyways. But it actually worked out perfectly, Steve, because now we get to talk trade deadline deals. Yes. Pretty awesome stuff. There's also some other news dropping on the scene late. What was that, like 3 a.m. yesterday, 3 a.m. Wednesday morning? It was Yeah, it was 1 a.m. I know this because I was up. And it was the last thing I saw before I went to bed. I was literally looking at my phone. Like the last tweet that I that I looked at was Josh McDaniels fired. And I'm like, all right, well, I think that's a good time for me to go to bed because Las Vegas is getting stuff done really late and I need to go to bed. But that news you like a warm blanket. Exactly. It was exactly what I what you needed to hear because I think I mean you've been calling for it and saying that it was going to happen or he was going to be the first one since the beginning of the season. Yeah. Thank you for victory lapping for me. So I don't have to, I'm going to do it anyways, though, guys, uh, in the staff pickums this year, (laughs) he was my guy. My first coach fired. He, he sucked so bad though, Steve, he outpaced what I thought. I thought he'd make it to Thanksgiving week and he'd be fired the following Monday after Thanksgiving. But Hey man, it's Mark Davis just had this epiphany. Like, you know what? I think we're done with this. I was I was talking to Chris about this yesterday. That that culture that the New England people try to take everywhere, it's so toxic unless you have a Tom Brady in the building or unless you you've won six Super Bowls. It just doesn't work and I think Mark Davis probably looked in the mirror and just said, "You know, enough's enough. We just got embarrassed on Monday Night Football. We didn't do anything at the trade deadline to help this franchise. I think everyone's gone." And they, he just cleaned house. So, uh cool. well, I, love I have to imagine that there was some moratorium on even thinking about doing anything at the trade deadline for him. Like they had to know this was coming down the line and they're like, no, you guys don't get to, you guys don't get to play with the kids. <laughs> You're stuck inside until we figure this out. And they fired yeah. him. Yeah. I do wonder if, if maybe like a Devonta Adams, they've got no reason to carry that contract. Yeah. Like they're, they're about to go through a rebuild stage, presumably. Right. I mean, so yeah, I mean, yeah, you I wonder, imagine. and this is pure speculation, obviously, but I wonder if Mark Davis was like, you know, let's let's get what whatever we can back for a guy like Devonte. Obviously, I don't think trading Max Crosby was a good idea. That was rumored for a while. That made no sense. He's still young. I yeah. know he gets paid a lot, but he's obviously a top five defensive player in the NFL. Yeah. Um, or if you talk to Scott Barrett, he's the best defensive player in the NFL. <laughs> whatever the case is, worth keeping around for sure. Super valuable position. So I I, I didn't understand that, but Devonte. Yeah. There's no reason not to trade him. Shoot, no. I would have traded Jimmy before uh, before he got injured. Well, I mean, he's healthy again. I would have traded him probably if you could. Well, unfortunately, so. coming off the heels of the game that he had against Detroit, <laughs> it's t- it's probably tough to garner some interest in Jimmy G right now. But, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to hang on to Devontae Adams. I mean, for what? At this point, Jacoby Myers is becoming one of the more targeted guys on the team compared to Adams. I mean, that didn't happen Monday night. Monday night, they were trying to get the ball to Adams. It just wasn't working out for yeah. various different reasons. But 
you know, the weeks prior to that, Jacoby Myers was right about on pace with Adams for targets through like from like week three to week eight. And then now they're starting to get Michael Meyer more involved. So it's like you can feel them not necessarily phasing Devontae Adams out of the offense because you're never going to phase Devontae Adams out of the offense, but they're definitely incorporating more of the guys that you think would be around more long-term than Adams. Yeah, for sure. Um, And the other thing too is like Adams' age – and I know it hasn't fallen off yet for him. He still looks great. He even looked great in the Detroit game at times. Just yeah. Detroit's defense was smothering him early. And then a couple of deep balls, though, he was, I mean, he killed someone on one. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> wide open. Um, the other one, Sutton kind of squatted on it because it was like a, you know, a blitz situation in the end zone where Jimmy had to get the rid of the ball very quickly. Um, so it was a throwaway, but like, I mean, Adam still looks really good, and at his age, though, you know it's going to fall off. So I don't know why you don't get what you can back. Yeah, um, and ultimately, I do wonder if that um, if that played a part in, in uh, you know, that regime Zeigler getting fired as well as McDaniel. So right. Anyway, speaking of trade deadline, there was uh, it was a busy day. The trade, the NFL trade deadline's gotten to be an exciting thing in time now. Yeah, years past. Uh, we talked about this last year, obviously, but in the past, the trade deadline was boring. Teams are really stubborn. I know playbooks in the NFL are obviously a lot more complicated than the NBA. NBA, it's pretty easy to throw a superstar into your lineup and just have them go score 25 points a night. NFL doesn't right. really work like that. There's a lot of nuance to what you do, culture, fit, all that stuff is important. So in the past, we hadn't really seen a lot of trades. It's changing, though. GMs are way more open-minded than they used to be. Yeah, uh, especially with positions like like defensive end is probably the easiest position to plug a guy in. There's no scheme really they have to learn. That's literally see ball chase ball. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> obviously there's a couple calls they might have to know as far as like shifts go, but ultimately it's it's pretty easy. And that's probably why we got a lot of defensive linemen dealt this year. Yeah. Uh, let's jump in. Um, let's start with some of the smaller ones. The Vikings unwilling to mail it in on the season, and they go out and get. Uh, Josh Dobbs from the Arizona Cardinals. Um, really light compensation here. The Cardinals actually didn't even get back what they gave up to trade for Josh Dobbs. So, but right. uh, they got they got a little something back though, which is smart for them. Kyler Murray's coming back. The season for them is probably over. So why not get a little bit back there? What did you think of Josh Dobbs going to the Vikings, Steve? I make sense if the Vikings think they they can be competitive this year. I mean, he's a guy who. So far this year, for all intents and purposes, like has looked pretty solid. I mean, in Arizona, given the talent that he has around him, given the offensive line he has in front of him, he's got he's helped keep Arizona competitive in nearly every game they've played in. So why not get him on a different roster with better receivers, a little bit better offensive line, a little bit better defense, at least the way where they're playing, and you know, I guess make and see what you can get and see what you can get out of the season and see if you can make a push for a wild card because the NFC is so wide open and there is, a, there is a chance you can sneak in as a wild card. And then, you know, at that point it's who knows what happens It's the playoffs, anything can happen, but it makes sense. You know, they obviously didn't give a, give up a lot, but you know, I don't think Minnesota has showed signs of wanting to mail it in at any point and have this become a rebuild. And I think that this further shows that they're just trying to get the most out of the roster that they have. Yeah, I think it, 
you know, because Dobbs isn't a needle mover. It's still a downgrade going from Cousins to Dobbs, obviously. Probably a, a big of course, yeah. Move. Yeah. And they were already, you know, kind of in a hole with the way they started the season. So I, I do wonder if it's if it's maybe less them not willing to mail in the season and more just them protecting the rookie quarterback, Jaron Hall. Yeah, um, maybe. Hey, we need to get another quarterback in here that can play. And yeah. it sounds like Hall's going to get the start this week, obviously, with Dobbs just getting there. But um, right. I do wonder if some of it has to do with that. It's just like we got we got to protect our team a little bit. Got to try to ma- you know maintain some level of competitiveness to to develop players and yada yada yada, which would make sense. Yeah. I think it's a good trade. Um, the other one Minnesota did. This one was puzzling to me, Steve. I I still need someone to explain this to me. They traded uh, Ezra Cleveland to the Jaguars for a six round pick. Yeah, Ezra Cleveland's low key been a good guard in the NFL. He's a solid starter. Yeah. I don't know why and the Vikings struggled so long trying to find decent offensive line play and they still don't have a great offensive line, right? It's they have really good tackles and then Ezra Cleveland was a, a good asset. The center guard combo there, other guard. Um the kid's name's Pat, you know, skipping me, but he's from LSU, drafted last year. I don't know why I can't remember the other guard. Um anyways, yeah, that combo just really struggled and just we we've been talking for 5 years about how the Vikings need to build that offensive line. They finally get somewhere where they've got three-plus starters, I would say two excellent starters um, at the tackle spots, and then Cleveland. Yeah. Then they go deal them for a six-round pick. It just didn't make sense to me. Cleveland's also a guy with some some positional versatility. He's big and long. He can play tackle on a pinch if you need him to. I just didn't understand. He's been a good starter now for two years. Um, it just seemed, it seemed like really light compensation for a team that needs him. That's That's the thing that's surprising. Like, they need him. Yeah. And the, I mean, so Ed Ingram, I think is the guy you're thinking of. Um, He's been bad by the way. Right. And it's been the, the interior offensive line for them has kind of been somewhat rotating cast of guys. They've had, you know, Garrett Bradbury's gone out with injury a couple of times. And so Ezra Cleveland was a really good, you know, player as well as a not, I mean, he wasn't a depth piece, but he, you know, he was able to, he, like you said, he had the versatility where, you know who they when Bradbury was injured. I think they bumped down Risner into center, and then Cleveland at guard. Was that what they did? Sounds right. But the, you know, either way, like just having Cleveland in there and the ability, his ability to jump into different spots at a pinch and understand the assignment and you know help keep that offensive line going. You know, it for a six round pick, what Jacksonville is able to pick up. Again, another team that's kind of – they don't have as much security at their tackle spot as Minnesota, but they're a team that has been looking to protect Trevor Lawrence a little bit more. And this is a huge – this is a big pickup for a six-rounder, a, a guy that, you know, does, I think, ensure a little bit more of that offensive line and allows will allow yep. Trevor Lawrence to have a little bit more time to throw. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest – I would say one of the most coveted traits on the offensive line in the NFL is experience. I mean, Cleveland's he played twelve hundred snaps last year. Find me the list of offensive linemen that played that many snaps last year is is uh, almost none, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The fact that he's got that level of experience, he started what six games this year so far. Like it's a dude with a lot of experience. So I, I was just surprised by this one. Um, I think it's a great pickup for the Jaguars. I know we focused all our attention on Minnesota just now, but I think this is a great trade for the Jags. Does it move the needle a ton? Probably not. But anytime you're investing into keeping your quarterback clean. I think it's a win. I would imagine by the end of the year, Cleveland's a starter there, if not right away. 
Yeah. And like they, they were dealing with their own depth issues. You know, they had a, they had one of their backup guards go on IR and they had Walker little who was starting to get some playing time and was playing at mixed reviews. And I think that Ezra Cleveland coming in again, bolsters the offensive line allows them to work on Walker little, a little bit more instead of having to throw him right into right into the game and have him get kind of eaten alive. I think that allows them to develop him a little bit more while also getting, you know, solid starter play from Ezra Cleveland. Agreed. All right, we're going to move on. The Packers were sellers. They mailed it in. They, well, I shouldn't say they mailed it in. They, they traded Russell Douglas, who literally just came back from injury, to the Buffalo Bills. I think this is a good trade for both teams. This is a really savvy trade for the Bills, who are decimated at corner right now. Yeah. Sewell Douglas fits their scheme really, really nicely. He's a big, long corner with really good instincts and ball hawking skills. Not a guy that I really feel good about trusting in, in man coverage and getting in phase. And so I, I really like him in the scheme. And I think his best moments as a Packer were when they were playing zone. Um, I, I really like, I, I can't say enough. I really like this, this pickup for the Bills. I think this is going to help them a good bit. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think the Bills had been shuffling that corner spot opposite uh, Benford. They've, they've been pretty solid on Benford. They have Teron Johnson in the slot. It's been that other corner that they've been kind of dealing with injuries as well as just trying to peg the second starter. It's been kind of between Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam. Kyrie Elam hasn't really shown what you've been hoping to see from a first round draft pick yet. Yeah. And so I think that getting Rasul Douglas, it does really bolster that secondary. And, you know, they've lost a couple after losing Milano, Trey White. That defense has been susceptible to getting beat. And I think that Rasul Douglas ensures, you know, that passing the passing defense a little bit more. And, you know, good on Green Bay to get a third rounder back. They gave up, you know, they gave up Douglas in a fourth and got a third rounder back. I think that that's about what you the best case scenario for him. And so from both, like you said, from both sides, I, th- I think that this benefits both teams. And clearly you can see that the Packers, like you said, not, I guess not clearly, they're not necessarily phoning it in, but you can tell they're shifting into the next phase of what this team looks like. Yeah. Um, I know that, uh, you know, McDermott made that zone coverage he ran in Carolina when he was the D coordinator was made famous. He also was on the staff in Philadelphia when Russell Douglas was drafted to the Eagles. Um, interesting thing, too, here, Steve, a little note I want to throw out. It's kind of crazy how DBs hold their value. Like, he was drafted, what, seven years ago with a third-round pick, and then he gets a third-round pick back? Yeah. You don't see that a ton. You don't see that a ton. Like, especially with the next two guys we're going to talk about, they kind of lost value in a way. Some of that is because the pending contract doom. But, man, right. Rasul, I don't know. The Packers getting a three for Rasul Douglas just seemed like really good business for them. So I think it was a good trade by both teams. Probably the best corner corner scheme fit the Bills could have, you know, hoped for. And then, you know, they also get a five back with it too. So, Yeah, and like you said, it um, he's definitely built to play in a zone, con- in a zone scheme, and the Bills run zone defense yeah. on 79, 78% of their defensive dropbacks. So he'll – plug right in and yep. to the point of the staying power of some of the, or like the holding value of some of these corners, it just shows how important good corner play is yeah. when you can get it. And the NFL it just, it, their mindset in that regard too. 
clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just speaks to how valuable a corner that, you know, I mean, he's jumped around a couple times, so he understands different schemes, but being able to play at a high level as well as understand, understand multiple schemes is such a benefit to a player in, the, in their ability to retain value and have staying power in the league. Um, all right, let's keep moving here. We're going to do – let's go the Bears first. They make a trade for one of the Washington edge. I want to save the Washington talk for when we after we talk about both of them. Okay. But, so the Bears trade with the Washington Commanders and pick up Montez Sweat. They give up a second-round pick, which is likely to be 33 overall, 34 overall, something in that range – yeah, um, they did it again. They did this with Claypool last year. That didn't work out. Obviously, they got bigger hopes for Sweat. This one was a little puzzling, Steve. I think Montez Sweat is a, is a really good player. Um, want to make that clear? I yep. think he could have helped a lot of teams at the trade deadline. Um, the Bears, though, they're bad, really bad. Montez Sweat is 27 and facing contract, you know, contract time. I don't, yeah. He's going to cost them a lot of money, probably 25-ish a year, 25 million a year. I would go four. They're probably going to go four years, 100 million, something in that range, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. And they're going to be paying this guy a lot of money so that by the time they're actually good, he's done. He's going to be 30, 31 years old. I don't – Right. Unless they have some miraculous turnaround, but this team is far away from competing. I don't – I don't know, man. I I know they have cap space to spend. It's almost like they should have done the opposite and given up the third for Chase Young. The young yeah. Um, not sure what happened there, but I don't know. What are your thoughts? I didn't understand this from any angle, really, because the immediate reports came out from both sides. You know, uh, Montez Sweat was like, I'm going to see how this year plays out. There's rumors that an extension is getting worked on. There's rumors that an extension is not getting worked on. Overall, like you said, I just don't understand the long-term plan of this. I mean, Monte, like you said, Montez Sweat's a good player. He, you know, the ends are kind of scheme-proof. You can let him do what they want. He's great in the run game. He gets decent pressure. He's been okay this year. He's kind of been in the mid-40s. Ranking an, a, a little bit of a down year, but he's been a, a his track record suggests he's just a menace, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I'm you know who knows how much attitude and the culture in Washington has affected his drive to play. I don't know, but again, it, I just don't understand why this why you would want to bring him in, and then I mean best case scenario, if he walks, you get a third round comp pick. And that's assuming you don't spend in free agency. So I'm massively I have no choice but to spend. Right. I'm massively interested to see where this goes and what the overall plan was with was with this because I can't come up with it as I'm sitting here trying to figure <laughs> it out. I just I just it doesn't make sense to spend a second round pick when, like you said, Chase Young went for a third. A second round that, you know, for all, it was close to it's as close to a first rounder as you're going to yeah. get. That's not a first rounder. I just, and a, it, a guy that isn't under contract that you still have to re sign, that's just a lot of capital to give up for something that's not necessarily a guarantee. He could absolutely make the decision not to re sign there because he's, again, he's a 27 year old defensive end who plays well in both the run and the pass, which 
isn't, you know, super common. He's going to get a ton of attention in free agency. I don't know how the Bears, unless they overpay, which they have the cap space to do if they wanted to, but I don't understand why Montez Sweat would choose to go back to the Bears. Um, I'm assuming, maybe I'm being too generous, but I'm assuming they were granted the the chance to have that conversation with him before they made the trade. It's usually how this thing right. works. Right, right. Where the team will will uh you know uh, grant that right um he's not a chicago kid is he by chance i want to no, say he's from, he from uh, kentucky from... tennessee kentucky something like that i know he's a michigan state recruited him he came to michigan state you know was a big time recruit there but it was a you know certified not a good dude in the locker room he mark d'antonio put up with some of the craziest most yeah, different he players kentucky. he's from okay i, I thought so um but yeah, Mark D'Antonio's put up with some just crazy personalities at Michigan State when he was the head coach. Yeah, and yeah. Montez Sweat was one of the few guys he kicked out. He didn't even kick out Glenn Winston, <laughs> who, who you know was arrested several, like three, four times when he was at Michigan yeah. State. But he kicked out Montez Sweat. So that tells you a lot about that. Um, anyway, I mean, that was a long time ago. So obviously Montez has matured quite a bit. He's been out of the yeah. news in the last five years. But point being is like – I. I was thinking maybe there was a, a hometown connection there, but there's not that either. So yeah, like I said, I, I would assume they had to have had that conversation where they they were you know granted the ability to talk to him real quick and just say, hey, you interested in being a bear? Bears still carry a lot of like tradition and like a lot of kids grew up watching the Bears. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I from from the Bears standpoint, you know. I think this tells us a lot about how they see their team. I don't. It seems maybe like they're they're bringing the whole regime back, Getzy, yeah, and GM, and just rolling. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you again. get to make. I don't think you get to make this move unless you've been kind of assured that you're coming back the right. next year. So I don't know. Let's say they they sign Sweat, they re-sign Jalen Johnson, they have the linebacker duo. Yeah. Um. But that's that's it. They're they're building. Oh, they got a pair of D tackles they drafted that are playing pretty well. So I don't know. Maybe yeah, they feel Kyler, like they're closer than we feel like they are. I don't and know. Kyler Gordon is a solid nickel player who they drafted pretty recently. Jaquan Brisker is an Brisker's enforce, an enforcing safety. You know that they play in the box pretty often, and their defense has played better in the last few weeks after getting really ripped apart the first couple weeks of the season. They have come together a little bit and been a better performing unit. The pass rush has really been the one spot that it hasn't. And so it looking at it from a, you know, with tunnel vision, you know, under a microscope for just this year, it's a good acquisition. If you, if you don't talk about what's going on in the future, yeah, I think the, this, he, that Montez Sweat does add an element to this defense that they've been missing. And there's a chance that this defense could be solid. I think like a middle of the league defense there, you know, Jalen Johnson, like, like we said, Jalen Johnson has shown a lot of promise and stayed in town. Kyler Gordon's been well, their entire secondary is healthy for, I think like the first time this year, it was just the defensive line. They had nobody that was really making a huge impact. And so they, you know, they went and took a shot to get an impact guy. I don't know what they're, you know, they have obviously a ton of draft capital this year, so they can kind of do what they want because Carolina is probably not getting much better. Right. But it's just the long-term aspect of this that I think is 
really the big question because short term it, you know, I, like I said, it does make sense for this season. It's someone they desperately needed. I just don't see the plan long-term. Right on. Um, all right, let's, let's move on to the other commander's trade, which was sending the former number two overall pick chase young to the San Francisco 49ers for a third round pick. Now, first question, Steve, did it surprise you that, that sweat went for more than young? Yes. Actually, kind of by a lot. Yes. That's going to be a third-round comp pick. And Sweat went for a top 35 pick. So you're looking at, a, yeah, top 35 compared to what would be in, like, the 80s or the 90s? Yeah, it's, it's probably a 60, 60 spot difference there. So that's arguably, well, I mean, you could two, argue that's... Two rounds of value. I was say, two rounds of value. Um, yeah, I was stunned that Chase Young got less than what Montez Sweat did. And that was, again, like... Not to belabor the point, but that was why I, you know, am a little bit disappointed in what happened with the Bears is did you like were you the ones that went out with a second round pick and then they yeah. accepted and then you find out about this? Or, you know, how did that all go down? Because I think that you got the older now I think that Montez Sweat has more facets to his game that he's better in i don't think he's necessarily a better player but i think that he's a more all-around player than chase young that's probably right now but a resume right. too young's been hurt and a little inconsistent early in his career here but. right and so maybe that played a factor in it but yeah that really did surprise me that you know washington was able to get a second and second almost first compared to a third almost fourth for young yeah. that's fair um as far as the 49ers go steve i Everyone's celebrating this like they just traded for freaking Patrick Mahomes. Man, I don't know. I it's a good move. Like it, it's never bad to trade for a good pass rusher. Like so, like of course, I'm not saying this is a bad move, but does it move the needle at all? I mean, look, just list the D linemen they already have on the roster that play on the edge. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. Obviously, Armstead kicks inside a lot, so yeah. he plays both. I'm guessing this probably cements him as an interior guy fully. Yeah. Um. Randy Gregory, Drake Jackson. Um, they have uh, another Cleveland Farrell. Oh, Cleveland Farrell, yeah, that's so. Yeah, is Young a better pass rusher than Cleveland Farrell? Yes. Um, but man, like, what are they going to, you know, go twenty five percent snap share with all these guys? Like, it's kind of crazy. Drake Jackson's looked very good to me too. They just made the move for Randy Gregory two weeks ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, it's. It's really weird, too, because Chase Young's not the best run defender in the world. That's yeah. clearly the weakness the Washington Command – or, the sorry, the San Francisco 49ers have. It's yeah. like – and they did this with Javon Hargrave in the offseason, too, where it's like, oh, we, we've got this big weakness defending the run. Let's let's get a D-tackle that literally doesn't defend the run, only right. pass – you know, pass, rushes passer. I don't know. It just seems like they're doing more of the same, and I, I don't really know that it moves the needle that much. And I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Chase Young, with under Chris Kurosak, develops into the best pass rusher in the league. I don't know, but I'm just, you know, face value. I'm just not buying this as a move that does anything, you know, of significance for the 49ers. Yeah, and you hit the point that I was going to hit exactly is that the 49ers have been susceptible in the run against the run game this year, and Chase Young doesn't add anything to that. If anything. Now, if you trot out a lineup of Armstead, uh, Hargrave, Young, and Bosa, I mean, teams are going to run up the middle. I mean, teams are just going to run if you you know if you line up, let's say Young and um, 
Young and Hargrave on the same side. I mean, yeah. I'm running that all day long, but I don't know. It's the 49ers have been this kind of team where it's just like, Hey, the top, like top talents out there. Let's go take a chance and just try to fit them in. That's kind of been their MO a little That's bit lately. With, I like with, um, you know, obviously they understand that they have a cheap quarterback. And so they have the ability to go make these moves. And, you know, again, chase young, they, he's on an expiring contract. They don't have to keep him after this year. So if he doesn't have that great of a year, if they don't see the needle move the way they want to see it move, they can, you know, pick up another compensatory pick because, you know, yep. they've not, they haven't been huge spenders in free agency. So that shouldn't influence that yeah, too much money to be. Yeah. Right. So I, it's a play, it's a ceiling play. I mean, that's what yeah. this is. It's a ceiling play to try and, you know, become that more ferocious on defense it's just you know did it help them in the areas that they need to we'll no but we'll see if you know if he adds an element to that pass rush where now bosa and young are getting into the backfield with under 2.2 seconds and disrupting plays every passing down then i guess who cares if you can run if you can run the ball against them because you're not gonna be able to do that all game yeah i so my analysis is strictly based on the idea of this is a team chasing a Super Bowl. How do we get better right now? If you yeah. were to sit down and say, well, the long-term plan is, you know, Eric Armstead's getting a little old. He's also expensive. We're going to let him walk or cut him. I'm not sure what his contract situation actually is, but we're going to let him walk and hope Chase develops and, and maybe that he takes on that, you know, that placeholder and the salary cap for us. And we, we just yeah. continue moving the ball that way. Th- sure. That's great. Maybe it's a future. Maybe it is a future move for them. It was inexpensive. If Chase completely flops this year, like you said, they they'll get literally the same pick back that they gave up to get him because he's going to go right. sign for, for decent money elsewhere. Right. Um, so it, business sense, it was a, it was a smart move. Like I said, I'm never going to crap on a team for for you know adding depth to pass rush. That's a very important position. So good on them. I just was confused. I guess in the for team chasing a Super Bowl, it seemed like there had to been a move out there that helps them more right now. Um, an offensive lineman would have helped more right now. A cornerback would have helped more right now. Now, I don't I can't claim I know any deals that were out there. I see right. Rasul Douglas get traded for a third. And maybe that that probably helps him a lot more. I know Rasul, they're playing 49ers are playing a lot of man this year. Um, yeah. under Steve Wilkes more than they have in the past. So maybe they didn't see Rasul as a fit necessarily. Whatever. I just that's kind of where my head was at, though. It's funny because it, I if you swapped the Chase Young and Montez Sweat, Montez Sweat to the 49ers, Chase Young to the Bears. I think I would have I would have liked those deals much more. One hundred percent. Bears like get the younger like player with the ceiling. Yep. 49ers get the the good run defender guy who can really set the edge with with Bosa or Armstead, depending on how you want to do that. Yeah. It's funny because other than like literally any other move, like even if they went and did the Ezra Cleveland move, I think that that helps them. Yeah, it's just funny that they went after the one guy where it's like, eh, yes, he obviously adds that juice to the pass rush, and you have an amazing tandem. But again, I just don't, you know, the scheme, the the overall scheme fit is questionable, just because it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't bolster what they've been susceptible in this year. Yeah. Also, I, this show is called Take Talk. I want to I want to throw out like a little take that I saw that it's just. It's not even a take. It's, it was a, 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 ba- a crazy backtrack. I saw a San Francisco's beat writer. I won't say his name on the pod. He wrote a little article about 
the trades he'd like to see mm-hmm. and the trades he wouldn't like to see, positions they don't need to add to. One of them was defensive end. And then as soon as they trade for Chase Young, he writes, writes this, oh, this shine piece where he's shining it up like, oh, this is such an amazing deal. The 49ers really wanted to get some more help on the edge. Like, bro, just that's not journalism. Do your job, man. Anyways. <laughs> I think that Minnesota game spooked him overall, though. I think that Minnesota's game plan and the way that they eliminated Nick Bosa, I think that's maybe what. How many teams are going to run into, though, that have a tackle tandem of that caliber? The Eagles. The Eagles and the Lions. And the Lions. Those are are the two teams that that you're focused on, arguably. So I think, like, honestly, I think that's where this move is derived from is they saw what happened in that game, and they were like – Nick Bosa got eliminated. We got completely shut down and thrown on. And so I think that's the mindset of this move. We'll see how it plays out. Fair enough. That's a good point. I didn't think about the Eagles-Lions aspect of that. So, all right. I, I just thought of that. So that was right off the nice. top of the dome of remembering the Minnesota game because Nick Bosa yeah. was completely shut out, and they didn't have anyone else who had anything going for him. Right. Okay, the – well, we got to hit the commander's side of this, right? So the commanders trade yes. they're two starting defensive ends. You look at the depth chart of who's behind those guys. <laughs> I can't even tell you the names right now because that's how bad it is. I don't know what they're thinking. I get trading one of them. Like, hey, on paper, we can't afford to keep both these guys. Yeah. We're going to trade one, try to recoup some value. Montez Sweat obviously becomes the easy choice. He's 27. You're getting a top 35 pick for him. Cool. Chase Young, though, I probably would have kept him if I'm if I'm them. Um, I mean, they still have the fifth year option with him. Yeah, and and my question to them too is why? What did you think was going to happen when you drafted a, a defensive lineman four years in a row? Right, was it four years or three years in a row? And in one year they took two, I think. Yeah. Then they take sweat and pain in the same year, maybe. Was it sweat and pain? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, anyway, so right. So four first-round picks on the D-line over a three- or four-year span. What did you think was going to happen if you hit on those guys? Like, you weren't prepared to deal with that? Like, that just is super weird to me. Really weird team building. Um, Yeah. I I don't know what their plan going forward is. They haven't been terrible this year. They've had terrible games for sure. But Sam Howell's shown some progress a little in the passing game a little bit. Um, Shoot, he started, what, Sunday's game, like 20 for 21 or something passing? Yeah, he looked – I mean, he looked – they had a – Good game plan against the Eagles on yeah. Sunday. Very so good I, game plan. I'm not really sure what the commanders were, were doing there or how they didn't plan to have at least one of those guys on the roster. Um, I know Payne makes a lot of money. I know John Allen makes a lot of money. Yeah, Maybe you try to trade John Allen. Um, maybe I'm bitter because I wanted the Lions to trade for John Allen. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, I think that's uh, that's the moves that would have made more sense to me is moving Sweat and Allen, keeping Payne and Young. Yeah. Because now they have Allen and Payne in the middle. They have no one outside. I'd give Literally you a no dollar. I'd give it's going to be hard to run on them. Guess anyone. It is going to be hard to run up the middle. Getting yeah. outside might be a little bit easier. But yeah. I just, what is Washington's game plan? I mean, like, I don't understand what they're building toward or where the direction of any of this is. I agree. Was this a white flag on the season? Was that like I don't even know where we stand still. Like I don't. 
Here's their Dang by the way, here's their starters on the edge right now. James Smith Williams. Legitimately don't know who that is. And Casey Chuhill. I know who that is. They also have FA Obada, who was with the Bills for a while. I know that as a rotational guy. Yeah. KJ Henry was a is a rookie. Andre Jones Jr. I mean, this is a guys, this is this is bad. They have nobody. Yeah. And and this is coming up on, you know, it's year one, but it's looking dicey for their first round pick from this year with Emmanuel Forbes. Oh God. <clears throat> it's gonna be dicey until that man drinks a protein shake. And so it just often I mean they still like their offense. They've got great weapons at receiver. They've got an okay offense. I mean, their offensive line has been brutal, but Sam Howell has been not helping them in any way, shape, or form. But I just – they're stuck in this weird purgatory of I have no idea which direction they're trying to go toward. Are they trying to make a push to get better? Are they trying to dial it back to go into a rebuild? I – couldn't tell you from what their roster looks like right now. <laughs> Sorry for the distraction. I just wanted to show the the YouTube viewers this. Aiden you Hutchinson, got it. That's sweet. Bobblehead. My I didn't attend the game. My father did, and his wife didn't want one of those, so he took two and <laughs> gave me one. So gave me his wife's. So that'd be a nice little backdrop for the matchup point show with John. I like it. Yeah. Um, right on. Do you want to do want to hit the lines one and then and then we'll maybe talk about some week nine games. Yeah. And then there's yeah there's one other thing I want to touch on just as an overall. Okay. Oh overall. All right. Thing. So the Lions, they go out and they get a wide receiver Donovan Peoples Jones from the Cleveland Browns. They gave up. Uh, Conditional sixth, I think it was, right? Yep. Twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Down the road conditional sixth. So um I like this move for the Lions. We've been saying since week one they need a receiver. Now, obviously, as time has passed, that that need was still there, but it didn't seem like their biggest need. Um right. I was kind of hoping they'd go get an edge rusher. It sounds like James Houston's gonna be back early December. Yeah. Which should help the pass rush. So maybe that's why they opted not to go get a, a sweater, a young or whatever. But um, evaluating this trade, I really like the, Don- the Donovan Peoples-Jones trade. They, we've talked about the need for an X. Josh Reynolds can play X, but he's you know good as a you know Z or a flanker as well. Um, they've got speed and JMO and Caliph. They've got the the route running in the middle of the field on lockdown with Amon Ra and Laporta. Um, this really was the last. I guess skill set they didn't have, and especially with Marvin Jones going to uh, retirement. I mean, this or stepping away from football, I should say. This just made sense. Donovan Peoples Jones is you know six four two twenty, really kind of athletic guy for that size. Not a burner necessarily, but he's not slow either. Um, but he's you know great vertical leaping ability, all that stuff. Um, really productive vertical threat for the Browns uh, previous to this season. Obviously, this season for whatever well. I can tell you the reason. It's (laughs) Philip Walker. They're not good quarterbacks. Right. Plus the addition of Elijah Moore. He was just, he was playing. He's ran over 200 routes this year, just not getting targeted. Yeah. He's been, he's been an all, all world track team guy this year. All, all, all cardio. 
Yep. All, especially if you watch the the types of routes he's running. Yeah. Nine ball, nine ball, yeah. post, nine ball, double move, nine ball. It's like, dude is out there. Like he's definitely coming in with good conditioning. That's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, for the uh, Lions with the oh, JMO, like we're we're not sure what JMO is right now. He's str- He's on the struggle bus. He's got the yips right yeah. now. He can't catch anything. Couldn't catch a cold in Detroit right now. I mean, this is it, it's a little scary with JMO, and I think DPJ helps offset some of that concern because he is a vertical threat. He's also a contested catch guy, yeah. um, red zone type player, which they we saw Monday night. They they struggle in the red zone. They don't have a guy they can throw a ball up to. I think yeah. Laporta can be that guy, but right now he's more of a catch and run type of tight end. Um, so that he's got to develop there. Amon Ra's not, you know, he's good at what he does, but if they congest the middle of the field, Amon Ra's just not going to score a lot of touchdowns. So they needed they needed this type of player for sure. And yeah. I, I think he's a really good fit for that offense. I expect him to probably play more than JMO right out the gate for sure. Yeah, I would think so too. And it just helps them continue to stretch the field. This adding this element of speed that he has compared to what Marvin Jones does not have is that this opens up their offense a little bit more. Ben Johnson loves his crossing routes, his over routes, and bringing in a guy like this, having a guy like Jamo on the roster, you know, be it what he's done, not that much. Having that element of speed with two guys instead of just one, and then you can even throw Khalif Raymond in there, it just opens up their offense a little bit more to be less methodical and you can take a couple more shots. You've seen it at times this year where, you know, when Jama wasn't playing before, you know, um, during a suspension that they lost that vertical aspect to their offense a little bit. It yeah. had to be really schemed up and they really had to, you know, take their chances when they got them, but it wasn't often bringing in DPJ, having Jamo in the build back in the building. It just, the speed different difference between that and the first couple weeks of the season, it, it, it just gives, Ben Johnson more ammo to play with. Yeah. In, in the vertical stuff, too. Like, early in the year, they were hitting a lot of deep shots. Um, I know Amon Ra had the long touchdown against yeah. – um, was that uh, was that Seattle or Atlanta? Atlanta. The double move. Yeah. Where he yeah. Put, put the slot corner on skates. That was a good call. You mean what, the stick and go against Green Bay, you mean? It was a Green Bay. Sorry, Green Bay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you had – Laporta won a, a rep on a two-way go against a safety for a deep ball. He also had one schemed up to him. Um, I think Caliph had a, a long touchdown on a flea flicker. So yeah. a couple schemed up, a couple scheme-dependent looks where they, they needed the defense to play a certain way to hit those. Yeah, um, You don't want to have to rely on your tight end to hit deep balls for your vertical no. game. You know, you need, no. And Josh Reynolds has had a couple back shoulders too. So there is there was some vertical elements there. But this gives them a true, like, reliable vertical element where Jamo's just right. not reliable right now. So um, th- it's not necessarily going to be scheme dependent on either side, defense or offense, for them to like they they can work that vertical tree in. Um, exactly. I maintain I think when golf is throwing within rhythm, he throws a really nice deep ball, especially yeah. to the boundary. Um, I think he gets in trouble when he's thrown over the middle of the field a little bit, you know, downfield. So um, I think this this does really help. Also the the big note here for the Lions is it's pretty clear they weren't going to take two things they weren't going to do. They weren't going to take a culture risk on a character concern. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of Lions fans really wanted Sweat or Chase Young. They don't understand why we didn't make those moves. But the reality is, is like what we know about both those guys, they, they probably wouldn't be a culture fit here. And they just weren't willing to do that. The other thing is they're not they weren't willing to accelerate the clock either. 
It's like, yeah, right. we're good right now. We're competing, but this isn't a one-year endeavor. We're we're in this. We're building a long-term, stable product where we're winning year in and year out. So we're not going to give up that capital. They they've built this team through the draft. So why give up a ton of draft capital for another player um, that who's going to be cost controlled? I I understand all of that too. Um, not every team has it has a plan where they can audible and all of a sudden you're taking on a, a contract player who is going to be 25, 30 million per year, which is what sweat or young are looking at. Um, so I think from those standpoints, it, it made sense. The lines were a little more low key. And um, I guess the last thing about DPJ is he's a special teams guy too, which they love. Yeah. They love versatility. He's a really, really good returner, especially in the punt game, but yeah. he's got a bunch of good reps too, as a um, he's even played some vice. He's played gunner. Like he, he gets after it in the run game as well. Like he just checks all those boxes. Detroit kid. Um, I don't know if yeah, did you see the interview, with guy. Steve. Say it again. Did you see the interview with him at the combine? The year no. he came out. No, I um, didn't. They someone asked him like, "How would it, you know what would it mean to you to play for the Lions if they were to draft you?" And he said, "Oh, it'd be a dream come true. I've been a Lions fan my whole life. I grew up watching the Lions. I'm from Detroit. Um, that's that's where I want to go is Detroit." And then four years later, here we are. Yeah, I mean he's. Two, I think he's two years younger than me. I remember watching him at Ford Field in the state championship for Cast oh, Tech wow. and looking, you know, me and my buddies when we were watching. I remember it being like, he's going to be a good, he's going to be good. And I've been, I've honestly been a DPJ truther since he was in Cleveland. I always thought that he didn't get enough reps. I always thought he didn't get enough chances. When he did get chances, I thought he made use of it. So it's, a, I mean, it's a great buy low, low risk, potentially good reward. You know, you know, maybe coming coming back to the city rejuvenates him a little bit, and you see some decent production out of him. I mean, the expectations shouldn't be super high, but I think that there's definitely a chance that you know he contributes pretty pretty soon. Yep. Um, and you made it so I, it's you made the point that I actually wanted to touch on real quick because you saw a lot of chatter about it throughout the trade deadline uh, yesterday or Tuesday or whatever day it was. And the big conversation was, you know, it was for Lions fans. And I saw on a couple other uh, um, teams pages is, you know, why, why didn't we make the trade for Chase Young? And Chase Young was really the big one. Montez Sweat, the, his price tag was a little bit high, but Chase Young was the big one where a lot of people are like, oh my God, why didn't our team take a chance on that? Because, and you know, the rationale was from a lot of people, I heard it from radio analysts. I heard it from, a lot of people up. Why not just assign him for the third round pick? You're gonna get the third round pick right after anyway. Yeah, that's not, and for everyone out there, that's not necessarily true. You right. cannot just you cannot just sub in a guy and immediately assume you're gonna get the compensatory pick. Especially if you have a lot of cap space, which is what the Lions have. Right, right, and that and that's the biggest thing is that it all the compensatory pick is that you spent money on a guy. And you are not able to go and spend that money in free agency. And so to make up for that, you get this draft pick to help fill the void of talent that you didn't. It helps even the playing field. And so a team like the Lions and a lot of other teams that were in this position where they're probably going to make moves in free agency. They're probably going to do different things. And if you sign, if you trade for Chase Young for that third round draft pick, and let's say you don't want to re-sign him, he gets injured, he doesn't play well he's not a fit for your culture and he goes and signs somewhere else 
you, you're just not going to automatically get that third round pick and you could go and make these moves in free agency. And all of a sudden that compensatory pick gets moved to like a sixth. And you know, what's then, then what's your return? You traded a third rounder for a guy that now you're getting arguably back a six rounder and you may have bought lesser talent in free agency. It's just, it's not this one-to-one uh, trade-off that everybody wants to like think it is, Right. And it just like, I think I just think a better understanding of that because I, I didn't understand it. I actually saw it from Jeremy Reisman's he, you know, friend of the show. He had actually put up something by over the cap that kind of showed that trade off. Yep. It made more sense to me. And I think that opened my eyes a little bit. I think it would open a lot of people's eyes of like, this isn't just a one for one. San Francisco's a perfect team because they are not going to go spend exactly. a free agency. They have so much money tied up. They're going to get that third round pick back. Exactly. The Lions, that's not how it would probably work out because the Lions are probably not carrying all of this cap space through free well, agency. Takes, all it takes is one signing, Steve. So, like, they have the, right. the Lions at the fifth most cap space going into next year right now. That's before cuts and all that. They're, that implies they will sign at least one player to a big contract. Yeah. Probably only one. That's usually how they roll. So, even if they sign the one player to a big contract, it offsets – Whatever Chase Young's going to get from another team, and so the cop formula would definitely negate that to probably yeah. a sixth round pick. It's, I mean, yeah, it's a great point by you. It's, it's just, it's not easy for a team with a lot of cap space to to play the compensatory pick market. 49ers yeah. are great; they're cash strapped. They they got a ton of superstars in their team where all their money's tied up. They they know they they know what they're doing. The Eagles have played yeah. this game for a while too. Yeah, where it's like we're not we're not big spenders, so we'll we'll make aggressive moves via trade. Let those guys walk. Next thing you know, we're we're stacking those comp picks back up and then they're trading them back out for more veterans letting them walk just kind of rinse and yep. repeat that's yep. how teams with maxing out their cap improve their team usually so yeah and you hope um, detroit gets there at some point and these other teams get there where they're yes. making those maneuvers at some point but that's not where a lot of these teams are right now and that's why a lot of these teams did not make this trade for a guy on an expiring contract who has health health issues who has rumblings of workout issues things like that that's why these teams didn't make this trade and that's why san francisco this pass rush eden with uh with their defensive line coach that's yeah. why they make this move is that they see an opportunity to develop and it's a it's a no risk move for them for sure actually another point that you just spurned in my head like we still so this idea that you're we're gonna trade draft capital for position players and that are have expiring contracts is kind of new to the NFL. Yes. Um, we have not yet seen enough of these deals to know to do a full analysis on if this is actually good roster building or not. Like trading two first round picks for a wide receiver for the right to make him the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think that's good business. I love Tyreek Hill, he's the best player in the off in the NFL that's not a quarterback. But I think that's hurt Miami in some ways too, the way they did that. Yeah. Um, you're seeing this with other moves where it's, I just don't know that that's the best way to do things. Um, now, obviously we're not talking about trades that were that big um, in the, in the deadline, but I do think there's some utility to the fact that like, I don't think we really know what the impact is of trading for the right to pay a guy. Cause that's, that's a weird proposition. You don't necessarily get to see enough reps in your Jersey either to make that call. Right. Throughout NFL history, it's tough for guys to go to a different team and have the same level of success for whatever reason. Yeah, team culture's different. They're getting being coached a little bit differently. We're, doesn't not really sure. It's it's better for some positions than others, but 
point being, it's not it's not like a, a slam dunk to trade for a, a superstar player and, and have him, you know, break out on your team. So, yeah, um, we do need to get going, Steve, but I can't leave the pod before we at least hype up the slate this week. We've dealt with two back to back, just horrendous slates of football games, um, although this past week panned out decently. All the games were close, but the, yeah. the maps on paper were ugly. This week we're getting some good football, guys. We got. I'm going to run down the list real quick, and then I'll let you give some thoughts. Dolphins Chiefs is a is a Germany game. You're getting that at 9:30 national TV. I'm yep. canceling church that day. I'm staying home. I'm watching Dolphins <laughs> Chiefs, guys. Um, Absolutely. Even I would say even Vikings Falcons is interesting. Two four and yeah. four teams jockeying for that last playoff spot in the in the both NFC. Making, both making moves into new quarterbacks. Both making moves in the new quarterbacks. Falcons still got a shot to win that division. Vikings are current. If the playoffs started today, the Vikings are in. Um, so these are not bad teams. Seahawks, Ravens, two two lost teams going at the 1 p.m. slate. Um, that's a great 1 p.m. game. We haven't got a 1 p.m. game of that magnitude in quite some time. Yeah. Um, there was another one on the, what was it? Oh, Cowboys, Eagles, obviously. 425, yeah. that's the game of the week. Then we're getting Bills, Bengals, Sunday night. Chargers, Jets, Monday. I know I don't want to watch the Jets in primetime again. I'm really frustrated about that. But these are two contending teams. Like We have a lot of good matchups. Almost half the slate this week is, I would say, playoff implication type matchups. Yeah, big time for both teams. That is obviously there's other playoff contenders as well playing non playoff contenders. But um, for both teams, there's like there's like half the slate matters this week. It's really exciting. A lot of good football we played. Steve, any thoughts on that slate? Um, The Dolphins Chiefs game. I mean, from every aspect is fascinating. I think that the Chiefs have a bounce back opportunity. They're playing. This is could be for a one seed realistically down the road but really i think this is mainly a huge game for the dolphins the dolphins have beat up on some bad teams and they've run into trouble when they play good teams and so i think that this is a huge game for the dolphins to try and play against a very stout kansas city chiefs defense a defense that's been playing really really well and so that matchup there i think that watching like watching the dolphins new england game you're starting to see a trend of if a defense can just maintain the Miami run offense, you don't even necessarily need to stop it completely, but if you can maintain it and, you know, take out their explosive runs and force Tua to be a drop back passer, that's when the dolphins are starting to run into trouble a little bit. And so that I'm really interested to watch that Uh, Seahawks Ravens, Right now, Seahawks are winning the AFC West. Or yeah. NFC West, sorry. And it's like that. I think that this is a huge matchup. The Ravens, you know, beat up on a line, beat up on a really good Lions team. They've been playing really well. Their losses, you you could argue that the Ravens could be undefeated, could and should be undefeated right now. And I it, it'll be interesting to see how the Seattle run defense holds up because that's been what they've been doing really well this year. They've been playing against the run really, really well. I think they're like third in yards per carry against in the run game at like 3.6 yards per carry. And so can they, can they hold him in Lamar Jackson and stop the passing game, stop the running game? I think, you know, I think 
Lamar's developing as a passer in this offense a little bit better. So saying turning him into a drop back passer doesn't have as much credence as it did, you know, in a in the in the Greg Roman offense. So that matchup is exciting just to see if how Seattle's run defense holds up. Cowboys Eagles. Hold on, back really quick. Yeah, sorry. What's up? I know I gave you the floor. Seahawks Ravens. We didn't talk because here's the problem with Google. It's not smart. So when you Google trade deadline deals, it didn't include the Monday deal, which was Leonard Williams Williams going to the Seattle Seahawks for a second and a fifth round pick, I believe. This was another one where Leonard Williams is is a high-paid guy and he's on an expiring deal, so they're paying for the right to to pay him a lot of money. However, this one was different because the Giants came up and said, we just want the draft capital. We'll pay. We'll pay the bill. We'll pick up the tab. The Seahawks are on the hook for $1.5 million of that money this year. Now, if you want to talk about a team or a, a trade that was missed, this is this would have been better for the 49ers. This would yeah. have been good for the Detroit yes. Lions. This yes. would have been good for a lot of teams. I This one surprised me. This was the most surprising. I can't believe I forgot to talk about this. It's because Google sucks. Um, I, I blame Google. But, yeah, Seattle Seahawks making moves, guys. Like they have yes. fastly kind of built that defensive lineup a little bit here. Draymond yeah. Jones they brought in the offseason. Uh Boye Mafi's playing out of his mind. Like I knew he could when I saw him at Senior Bowl two years ago. Like the guy is balling. They bring in Letter Williams, who's a, a run stuffer, who's also got some pastoral chops, length, size, all that plays in that odd front really, really well, too. That Seattle's gonna run. Yeah. Uh, you know, he can play, you know, down to three technique on passing situations, or he can play on the you know, you know the base defensive end and uh, and rundowns. So yeah, re- really good pickup by them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I I forgot to touch on that too, but yeah, that's uh, Seattle's making good moves. I like where Seattle's headed. And then yep. the 4 p.m. slate, it's Cowboys Eagles. The cow, I mean, the Cowboys are an enigma in a way. Like I don't, they haven't been in a close game yet this year. They've been in one close game so far this year. And that was against the chargers. Everything else has been a blowout either way, whether it's them getting blown out or them blowing someone out. So I think that this is a really good overall test of if, you know, if the Cowboys defense can't score two touchdowns, can Dak lead a neutral situation drive to go, you know, lead a game, tie a game, that type of stuff. So that I think I think this is a huge game for the Cowboys. Obviously, it's for control of the division, at least for the you know the near future until they play again. But it's a it's a great test to see where this Cowboys defense lines up against one of the better offenses in the NFL and how Dak plays against it, a good defense. And then the the I mean Bengals Bills at Sunday night that the the Bengals are starting to roll a little bit. Joe Burrow's getting into a rhythm. Everybody's talked about it, but I'll talk about it too. You can tell that he's back because he checked into a QB draw. Third and three, and he juked out a safety. It was a great move. It was a great, all right, I'm, I'm feeling back at full strength. Um, it's going to be an exciting matchup to see uh, Jamar Chase go into the slot this week because the last three weeks, Jamar Chase is a 55.6% target right. rate when he's lined up in the slot. And exactly. the Bills have been a little bit susceptible uh, getting burnt in the slot this year. So that's going to be – that'll be fun. I think that Jamar Chase might be in line for 15-plus targets in this game. And then Chargers need to make a move. They got to keep climbing against the Jets, and the Jets' defense is going to be tough. I think that they could give Herbert problems. 
This could be, it could be, I think this could turn into a really ugly game. It's going to be, I mean, I think it's going to be another Jets game. Really? I do. I think that, I think that the Jets defense lines up well against, uh, against the Los Angeles Chargers and that they could, they could throttle down Herbert a little bit. Nice. So the Chargers have officially scorned you enough that you're finally turning your back on them. I am. I am, and I've, I've lost a little bit of faith. If they be, if they can, if they can put up points against this Jets team, I might change my tune. But I'm gonna, ha- you're gonna have to see a good performance against this Jets defense because that's kind of the standard of what they'll have to play the rest of the way. And you, you got to see Herbert have a good game. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, the Chiefs stifled the the Chargers pretty good, and. Uh, the Chiefs do have a good defense, good secondary, but the Jets' defense is a little better than that even. So it could be yeah. a tough setting for the Chargers. I agree with you there. So, Yeah. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Big-time football slate coming at you this week. We will be back next week to go game by game and review them, or at least the, the important games, I should say. Yeah. We'll do a review next week. Also, it will be officially the halfway point in the season for every team yep. in the league. So maybe we should um, get into some – mid-season awards i don't know yeah we'll we'll uh maybe talk about that so anyways we will be back next week guys thank you so much for listening we are out thanks for tuning in to this edition of the fantasy points podcast remember to subscribe rate and review on your favorite platform And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.